Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West and this month we're talking shark nets. Shark nets are fairly common across popular Australian beaches, but beyond giving swimmers a perception that they are being protected from sharks, do they actually work? Jordan Sosnowski is the Advocacy Director for Action for Dolphins, a group that aims to stop cruelty to dolphins and other similar animals, and has recently done a lot of research into shark nets. The first question I asked Jordan was, what are shark nets? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, Before we started our campaign a few years ago, I actually didn't know. Um, I mean, I kind of had this idea of what they were. And in my mind, they were sort of exclusion barriers. You know, they were a net, like a sort of sea pen that kept the people in um, and the, the sharks out. And um, that sounds like a really kind of good idea. But then when I looked into them, um, they're not that at all. They're basically these nets that sit parallel to the beach. So um, they are usually about 150 metres long and um, they're anchored to the sea floor. But the problem is, is you know, as, as we um, know in Australia, we're really lucky we have incredibly long beaches. Um, 150 metres of netting doesn't really do very much. So the nets Um, don't really work to kind of protect people from sharks because the sharks can swim around the nets or actually under the nets or even over the nets. So they they sort of don't do what most people think they do. So they're not very deep really, are they? They're like only a couple of metres... They're not very deep and there's been some, you know, incredible photographs that have been taken actually of sharks on the, you know, other side of the nets, you know, on the inside of the nets where, where people are actually swimming and, um, and surfing. So the, the science definitely shows that they sort of don't work to, to keep sharks out. Um, so they're, they're really kind of just this um, political tool, I guess, that, that MPs use to try and convince people, oh, look, you know, we're putting in this thing and you're safe from sharks, um, but they don't really work at all. And um, the unfortunate thing is as well that not only do they not work to protect people, but they also kill um, a lot of marine animals. So some sharks do get caught up in them, but um, a lot of other marine animals do as well, like dolphins and turtles and endangered um, rays and, and lots of other marine animals. So they're, they're really terrible for the environment. Yeah, so what, I mean, what really do they, I guess they make you feel more comfortable as a swimmer. You can swim over the top of them and see them, but then you're swimming over the top of them if you can. A shark probably can too. Are they just uh, to make you feel better and then a, a political tool? I think so. I mean, I, they were developed, but you know, a long time ago. And I think at, at the time they sort of thought, well, they're they're kind of big fishing nets. So the the idea is, you know, they're a lethal technology. So the the idea is to kill sharks. Um, and so I guess that does, you know, if you are scared of sharks, that does make you feel a little bit better. Um, but the recent trials that they've done in, in northern New South Wales show that actually, you know, in the time that they were in, more dolphins got caught in those nets than sharks did. So they're not kind of even working to catch the, the sharks that they're intended to. Um, so, yeah, I think they are a political tool. And I think um, a lot of people don't maybe understand exactly what they do. They probably think that they are a kind of exclusion barrier that completely protects them from sharks. Um, but, the, you know, the great thing is that once you actually get chatting to people and explain what it is that they actually are and how they work or don't work, as the case may be, they, they kind of start to think really differently about them. So education is really key. I read somewhere they kill 
up to 300 big animals a year and presumably heaps more as well. There are a lot of rare species get caught up, aren't there? Yeah, well, you know, well, there's a lot of endangered um, and vulnerable shark species that get caught up in there, but also um, turtle species that are vulnerable and, and rays and obviously dolphins as well. So there's a you know, devastating loss of you know, really innocent marine life that aren't meant to be kind of targeted by the nets at all that are getting caught up. And I think that's why luckily kind of community perception about the nets is changing. I mean, in, in Ballina where they had the trials most recently, um, people kind of wanted the nets in. There were a few shark attacks there and they said, yep, we want the nets in. That's what the community said. And then after the trials, um, community support went way down for them um, because of the huge number of bycatch because they weren't sort of, you know, the community wasn't prepared to accept the, the number of animals killed um, for the very, you know, small amount of protection, if any, that, that, that the nets were providing. And, you know, the reality is like you're far more likely to be killed from sort of falling off a ladder in Australia than, you know, being struck by lightning than ever being killed by a shark. It's sort of like the odds of dying from a shark attack are like one in 3,700,000. So it's really, really slim chances. Yeah, you compare it to the, the odds of drowning or something like that and they're not even comparable, are they? No, no. So, I mean, this fear that people have is kind of completely irrational and I think a lot of it stems from pop culture. You know, these references to Jaws of in the in the 80s, that movie like has kind of just really stuck in our heads and we have this like real fear of being attacked by a shark. But yeah, it is, it is completely irrational. I think even the maker of of Jaws and the um the the guy that wrote the book has now dedicated his life to shark conservation because yes. <laughs> you know he, he's he realized like oh my gosh it's such a terrible impact legacy that that movie has left in people's minds yeah there's a new film out actually I think called Meg or something with Jason Statham and it's got some extraordinary large shark hunting humans in it which is really going to help I think <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's a, also interesting. Like sharks don't, as far as I understand it, don't really go out of their way to hunt humans. If you happen to be swimming near a hungry one, then perhaps that's not great. But they're not hunting humans, are they? No, and that's a complete, you know, misnomer that sharks get, you know, the taste for human flesh or something like that. I think sometimes people have this idea that. What, you know, if one shark's around and, and it attacks somebody, then it's going to actually stay in that area to try and find other humans. But the research shows that actually, you know, sharks are migratory. A lot of them um, swim in incredibly long distances and they don't hang around. One's in Ballina that they've tagged and monitored um, have shown one couple of them have actually swum all the way to New Zealand. So they, they don't, you know, sort of hang around that in particular area and after a shark attack and, and then look for, for more humans to bite or anything like that. We're not, we're not part of their food chain. So usually they don't specifically target humans to, to eat. Was it in one of the latter Jaws films that the original shark's family hunted down the original human's family, Richard Dreyfuss's family or something? Yes, I, I, <laughs> I have to admit that I haven't seen them, but um, I have heard that, that that's what happened. And, and yeah, that's, that's completely crazy. <laughs> so I think that's... You know, they are very intelligent animals, but I think maybe that might be giving them a, a little bit more um, foresight than, than is warranted, yeah. <laughs> and, and so what, what are some of the non-lethal ways? Because I guess it's still understandable people would like to have 
a feeling that they're comfortable at the beach and what, what are some of the non-lethal ways that you could avoid being attacked by a shark or what are some of the measures that are being taken these days? And there's lots of non-lethal methods available. Um, a couple of the ones that are being trialled in South Africa because obviously in Cape Town they have um, uh, they had a bit of a problem with great white sharks there and they developed this really amazing shark spotters program where um, it's kind of as the name suggests basically there's somebody up on a high vantage point like a mountain or something and they've you know been trained to kind of spot sharks so they're there with you know amazing sunglasses and um, binoculars and they can you look in the water and see if they um, can spot one then there's a person on the beach um, that they're coordinating with and as soon as the shark's spotted they walkie-talkie each other and usually then an aerial um, drone is sounded so an alarm goes off and then people get out of the water so those kind of spotters programs work really well and there's been one that's trialled um, in Byron Bay in New South Wales which has also been really effective um, aerial patrols so helicopters drones um, you can also get personal deterrent devices devices which are really interesting they're a kind of new technology that emit uh, electrical impulse like pulses into the water which um, kind of interfere with the sharks uh, sensory organs and stop them from um, coming to, to bite you if they are near you so they've actually used them in Western Australia, which um, and so far they've been really effective. Like the government's actually providing a subsidy to people if they want to buy them. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So Western Australia has an mm. interesting history with with sharks. I mean, they had the drumlines and sort of active culling of sharks a couple of years ago. Um, so they've done a, a one eighty degrees there, have they? Um, as far as I understand, the drum lines are still being used in Western Australia, but they are investing in those kind of alternative technologies. So the um, subsidy that they're providing on the um, electronic device, I think it's called like a shark smart um, deterrent and basically surfers, it's kind of like an ankle um, thing that they wear and it trails along the water behind them. So I think they're normally around $700, but the government's providing a kind of subsidy if you buy them, which is a really, you know, a really great incentive for people to try that if they are worried about about the shark attacks. So, um, yeah, so it'd be great if, if New South Wales and, and some of the other states in Australia would invest in those non-lethal methods as well. But, I mean, a lot of it's about community education as well, you know, not swimming at dusk and not swimming when there's bait fish around and there's um, shark smart apps that you can download that tell you, you know, when is a good time to actually um, go swimming and only swim between the flags and all of that sort of thing. So a lot of it's about education. What's a smart drum line? Like what, 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 what makes, so a drum line's a big net with hooks on it, isn't it? And how does it work? How yeah, does... so the smart drum lines kind of differ. Basically they were created as a non-lethal approach. So um, the smart drum line has an anchor on it. It does still have a hook with um, a fish on it and it's, when the shark or any other animal gets caught on it, it sends out um, an alert uh, to um, a you know a response person that that's waiting for them. Usually, someone from the Department of Primary Industry, so a government person, and they then come out to check the nets to to see what's on the other end of it. Um, if it is a shark, they then um, carefully take it off the hook, um, tow it away from the area that it's been caught. Um, they tag it. Um, and 
in a way, they are, um, you know, definitely a better alternative to traditional nets because they are meant to be non-lethal. Um, but they do still have a kind of detrimental effect on marine life because obviously other marine animals can get caught on that net. And there's still, the jury's a little bit out on the post-release survival rate. So you can imagine if you tow an animal um, for a few kilometres and then tag them, it's quite a stressful experience. So I think they found with hammerheads, they're really at a high risk of dying after that process. But in a way, they, they definitely are better than traditional nets because um, you, can get, you can get some information from um, the tagging. So, you know, that statistic that I said before about that particular shark, um, you know, swimming to New Zealand, they, they got that from being able to tag a shark and work out where it actually goes. And so in some ways it feeds into that education that, you know, sharks don't hang around the area, they do migrate and it'll be interesting to see if they actually come back to that same area in Ballina next year. Um, so, you know, they, they are smart in that they, you know, give us information, but um, they're not completely non-lethal in, in the sense that, you know, they are still a hook and um, they do attract other marine animals to, to bite that hook and some times the per the alert person doesn't get there in time and the shark and or other marine animal ends up dying at the end of the hook rather than being able to be tagged yeah i imagine if they're caught in the middle of the night i don't know whether the the, the authorities have boats ready to go do they i mean that's um well one good thing about them is that they i think they're brought in so they're sort of deployed and then i i understand oh, okay. as far as i understand i think at night they're, they're not there um so there is a person that's um meant to be there during the day but there definitely have been cases where animals have been caught at the end of the lines um even in the, in the normal traditional mesh nets and i know that animal welfare organizations have called the authorities to say quick come you know like a dolphin or a ray is caught in the net and we need you to come and take it out because there's a huge fine um for anybody other than a government person to interfere with the nets and um they haven't gotten there in time and the animals drown so yeah there's, there's definitely drawbacks that's in i didn't realize they were baited so there are hooks but there's there's bait on them that would i mean that could attract animals to the area couldn't it yeah, definitely there has been some criticism about that of um, saying, you know, that's, that's a way to actually get sharks to come in yeah. to, to those areas rather than coming out. But then, you know, on the other side of it, I have um, spoken to some people from the DPI and they've said, look, it's no worse than a fisherman sitting in a boat and putting, a, you know, a fishing line over the other end of it. But I think um, in terms of, well, because they are such a new technology, there's still a long way to go in, in terms of like, looking at whether or not that, that actually is the case and if it is the case that they're attracting sharks then obviously they're not that smart after all. I mean, well, even since the shark nets were just introduced in New South Wales alone, more than 15,000 marine animals have been killed. And these are animals that are vulnerable and threatened and, you know, some of them very close to extinction. So it's really, really terrible for our um, ocean environments. And the thing is, you know, sharks, whatever you might think of them, um, you know, and, and many people do think that they're scary. They're apex predators. 
um, that you know we need to we need to learn to live with them. They're like so essential to healthy oceans because they found that in many cases when there's there's been a huge shark call, it has these like ongoing effects for um, other marine animals down the rest of the food chain. So you can't just kind of take out one animal and expect um, to have healthy oceans. It's just just not how it's done. So there really needs to be um, much more education and, and real investment by our governments in the non-lethal technologies because that, that's the only way that we're going to, you know, feel, feel really safe, I think, in the water again to have, like, you know, using modern technology to actually protect us from these animals. But we also have to realise that at the end of the day, we're going into their environment. Um, so, you know, this is yeah. this is their home as well. So we need to kind of be smart about how we how we do that and think about okay is this a good time for me to actually go swimming and am I between the flags and you know is it dusk okay maybe I shouldn't actually go in the water so yeah yeah I think yeah education is really key. You made you made an interesting point that um, I think they cancelled these or they stopped these uh, northern New South Wales trials because of the fear that whales would get caught mm. in the nets. So uh, I guess whales have this you know, public profile, don't they? Everybody is save the whales because for whatever reason, you know, there's been good advocacy in the past, but, but some of these other species getting caught up, endangered species don't don't quite have that. So you're right. It's, I guess there's a lot of education to go here. Mm, and it's a bizarre thing because people, you know, used to be really scared of whales. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, the the whole kind of um, Moby Dick thing, and you know, they, uh, they yeah, yeah. whales were never that popular, kind of in the in the sixties. Like we used to hunt them in Australia up until not that long ago, so they had a really bad public profile as well. And it was only when environmentalists really started to um, get out there with the message that oh, like whales are really key to our ocean environments, and they're amazing animals, and we should be protecting them that slowly over the last kind of 30 40 years the community's perception of whales has really changed and yeah now we wouldn't ever dream of killing one it's kind of like this australian icon um so hopefully you know in 30 40 years maybe the shark will be the same you never know yeah it's kind of worked yeah it's worked for whale populations hasn't it like whale populations are doing okay at uh, some species i think there are some that are still not so great but they've kind of recovered a bit haven't they yeah, well, since the ban on whaling came into place in the 80s, um, the populations have definitely recovered. But I guess the problem with that is there are some countries like um, Iceland and Norway and Japan in particular that are now using that as an excuse to, oh, let's bring back commercial whaling um, because the, the populations have clearly recovered. So now's the time to go and start. Um, hunting them again so it's you know good and bad like obviously really great that the populations are improving but um yeah it's it's not good in terms of like what that information is being used to then try and justify I think especially when it comes to animal welfare I think that people have a really kind of conflicted relationship with animals especially in Australia we have like one of the highest rates of pet ownership here um but yet you know we're huge meat eaters so and you know we're, we're so adamant about protecting whales and dolphins yet you know happy to kill um millions and millions of farm, farm animals every year just to um to eat so it's kind of this really conflicted relationship that we have with different animals and the way that we see them and i think sharks are really one of those you know they're i think a lot of people think oh well they're okay to be killed but oh my gosh like you can't kill a dolphin or a, or yeah. a turtle that's terrible so yeah it's it's strange well, australia's got a very high level of like 
extinctions and and reducing diversity and uh, biodiversity in that as well, haven't we? Like when we're not in the, on the world stage, not doing that great in our conservation. No, definitely not. And I mean, when you think about the reason why these shark nets are, um, you know, being trialled in northern New South Wales in the first place, like normally they would actually be considered a threatening process. You know, we have actually really strong laws um, federally for, for the environment. And if you wanted to put a shark net in at a state level, normally you'd have to go, you know, jump through all of these kind of permit approvals. And um, the New South Wales state government basically just applied and said, you know what, we want to be exempted from this federal environment law. We want to just put the shark nets in straight away. And our environment minister went, yep, okay, and just gave them this you know, complete um, exemption from our you know, normal federal environmental law to be able to put these nets in. So it's, it's such a shame when you think like, oh, we've actually got really strong laws here, but then we've got all of these other mechanisms where um, people and governments and industries can get around them. So, yeah, it's really frustrating. Isn't that fascinating? Like, I guess that shows the, the place that, it shows what people think of sharks, in a way, I guess, when you come down to it, the fear. Yeah, the fear and I guess the, the political consequences of not doing anything. And I think, you know, in Ballina especially and probably in New South Wales, they thought, you know what, we want to be seen to be taking action and here's a way that we can quickly show that we've acted in response to these shark fatalities and to quell community concern. And then, you know, a year and a half later, they look at, they say, oh, we're going to be guided by the science on the trials. And they look at the science and they, they definitely don't work. Again, you know, they knew that before they even put them in. Like the chief scientist in, in New South Wales um, said, you know, the shark nets don't work. Like we, we knew that before they even did the trials. So, um, yeah, it's, in, it's incredibly disappointing that the government doesn't even listen to their own scientists on this issue. Yeah, isn't it? I guess it's that the risk might be so low, but the consequences are high and graphic, aren't they? I guess it's it's really kind of it, it gets to you. I guess that's the it's a real yeah, thing. It's, yeah. A, it's a real visceral thing. I mean, when you yeah, see that's, you know, that's pictures right. of shark attacks, and um, yeah, I think it is definitely really scary. And as unfortunately, the places where um, these incidents normally happen are at tourist spots. And obviously the community has been concerned about people not visiting because they might be scared of, um, the, you know, a, a potential shark attack. And I think that is what happened around the Northern Rivers in Ballina because it is such a holiday tourist spot. And um, the local council thought, oh, we, you know, we're really going to be devastated by this if we don't kind of have something in for, for all the Sydney people that are coming up to visit. And a lot of the people that I spoke to actually in Ballina said, look, we know that they don't work but um, they work in terms of public perception, so we're happy with that. And that was just, like, so surprising to me. I just couldn't believe that, you know, they'd accepted the fact that they didn't actually work to protect anyone, but they, you know, in their minds, they, they actually worked because of the, I guess, that, you know, they're good advertising, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. wow. That's, yeah. That's, it's complicated. It is. Yeah. It's a really complicated issue, yeah. And then, you know, they start to get into, uh, you know, there's the arguments about, you know, um, favouring human life over animal life, um, which I think is kind of a, a bit of a false, um, you know, argument to set up because if the shark nets did actually work, you know, if they were exclusion barriers um, that happened to catch marine animals and bycatch, then I think that, that kind of... Um, 
this or that, you know, humans or animals would apply, but they don't actually work to protect humans um, and they, they do catch heaps of marine animals and don't actually catch sharks. So it's sort of, you know, this um, this thing of like, they, you know, if they, they, if they did do their job properly, there would be an argument to be made for them, but, but they don't. Yeah, they're just basically big fishing nets, which are, you know, trawlers, which are kind of bad. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, 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 that's exactly right. Yeah, they, they're just, you know, enormous fishing nets. And um, I, I do think that if um, people did realise that, um, even with the public perception thing of being able to, you know, potentially help boost tourism, I think the majority of people would say, actually, like, we'd prefer something that actually worked, like these non-lethal technologies. Yep. And so, and you did this work as as part of your work for Action for Dolphins. Is that correct? What 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 does That's Action right. for Dolphins do? So yeah, so we started off um, as a purely sort of small cetacean, like dolphins and small dolphins and whales protection charity, and have broadened our work more recently to include all marine animals. And the main things that we focus on um, are the shark net campaign. And also um, really trying to educate people about dolphin captivity because, unfortunately, that is still legal in Australia. And um, the other main um, thing that we campaign about is the dolphin hunting, which occurs in Japan. So people, you know, probably heard of the whaling that happens in the Antarctic, um, but maybe um, it's not so common to have heard about the sort of coastal dolphin hunting that happens in Japan itself. So, um, so yeah, we're working to, to stop those hunts. So our main way that we do that is through the law. So we're kind of a little bit different to most animal protection organisations is that in that, you know, we do raise awareness and we do a lot of advocacy campaigns because education is really important, but we really believe in kind of using the existing law to try and change things for animals and also bringing legal actions to push the law where we can. So, for example, like where that exemption was given um, to allow the shark nets, we're certainly looking into ways that we can challenge that. Oh, wow. And to influence international law in Japan would be, well, very difficult, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, well, we've kind of realised that, you know, international law is, um, first of all, incredibly difficult to enforce. You know, there is no international police um, and international law really has no teeth. Um, It's very, very hard to enforce. So the way that we're kind of challenging the dolphin hunts in Japan is through Japanese domestic law. So we've hired some Japanese lawyers and, you know, got a Japanese legal firm and, and actually trying to challenge it under Japanese animal welfare law because there's much more evidence to suggest that when you bring a law in the actual country itself, um, you know, it's much more likely to be enforced and, and people can... Um, governments will actually respect it rather than with international law. It's all a voluntary system. Countries can kind of opt out if they want to, like with Japan and the recent um, case against whaling. They basically said, you know, well, we don't submit to your jurisdiction or, you know, we don't um, agree with that ruling or, you know, well, we just think of another scientific program and that might pass your test. So it's kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, very, very easy to get around. I always wanted to work in, in animal law, which is obviously a really niche area. Um, there's not that many jobs in it, unfortunately, because animals can't really pay pay, pay you. <laughs> as, um, um, but um, it is starting to, it's 
um, big area in the US. Um, it's definitely a lot bigger than it is in Australia, but it is growing here. And they teach it at um, quite a few universities in Australia now, like the subject of animal law. So yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, we're a pretty small organisation. So we've only got two full-time staff and then um, five part-time. So we are pretty small. But um, yeah, I feel like we do a lot with a little. And it's kind of a unique strategy because a lot of organisations, I guess, shy away from legal action because it is quite risky and it, you know, it can be expensive and it can go for a really long time. So it is quite difficult sometimes to you know, explain to supporters of yours like why something is taking such a long time. But I guess the good thing is that when you do get a win, um, it's usually one that like is really lasting and can be enforced and um, changes um, a lot for animals. So, yeah, we've been lucky in that all of the legal actions that we've brought, we've been successful in. So hopefully that continues. Well, that's all the time we've got in this month's edition of The Pod. Thanks very much to Jordan Sosnowski from Action for Dolphins for talking us through all the various issues regarding shark nets. If you'd like any more information from today's episode, you can check the show notes at www.thepodpodcast.net. That's www.thepodpodcast.net. And from there, you'll find links to Action for Dolphins and to various research about shark nets. Thanks for listening in. My name's Mark West. I'll catch you next time on The Pod.